0: We turn this evening in God's Word, again, to the book of 1 Timothy, as we have been doing, making our way through this letter of Paul to Timothy and to the church there at Ephesus as well. We pick it up this evening at verse 12, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, reading through to the end of the chapter. Let's hear then God's breathed out word to us in this evening hour. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for life eternal. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again ask for God's blessing in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to read your word from Timothy. We thank you for sending Jesus to die for and save us from our sin. Thank you, as it, we read in the Old Testament, that you have replaced our hearts of stone. And we read of this example of Paul, who was... Uh, a blasphemer, and uh, you turned his heart around, and you saved him. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. And Amen. What a glorious passage in God's providence is before us in this evening hour. Glorious passage one, as a as a follow up to this morning. From where we were in the book of Leviticus, what God would have us deal with, what God would confront us with in sin, in a sinful world, in a sinful society of which we are a part. Yet God, as he often does, brings not only his word of judgment, but also his word of grace. Grace. And that's what's before us in this evening hour. A beautiful, beautiful word of grace. But it's also beautiful because of the fact that we come to the Lord's table tonight. And we're reminded not only by word. We're reminded not only by that which we hear, by that which we see in the word. But we shall be reminded by feel, by taste, by smell. In this evening hour of God's grace in and through Jesus Christ, He does indeed come to us with a testimony that, that does indeed touch all of our senses. That God does not want us to be people just of the mind, that somehow faith is just this cerebral activity, but faith is to be lived out in our daily lives each and every day so that. All of us, every part of us, in this evening, as far as our senses are concerned, will receive a message from the Lord of grace. But before we come to the table, we hear the word. And I want us to consider this passage tonight under three main headings. First of all, Paul's reminder. Secondly, Paul's repetition And thirdly, Paul's realization. Paul's reminder, Paul's repetition, and Paul's realization. What does he remind? What is the reminder? Well, it's a reminder, first of all, of who he is. Perhaps Paul did this for his own sake. (laughs) Who am I before I get into this, before I deal with this? Who am I? Who, Who am I at this moment? Not who was I in the past, not who will I be in the future, but who am I at this moment? A realistic look at at his own being at that particular time. Note what he says. First of all, he is strengthened. Verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. As far as we understand... At the writing of this particular book, Paul has been through a number of trials. Paul has been through a number of difficulties, many persecutions, lots of struggles. Life has not been easy to him as far as we would think about life lived physically. There is no uh, health and wealth gospel being proclaimed. There's no the Apostle Paul, I came to faith, and now all of my problems I have been delivered from. I never have any issues at all. No, quite the opposite. Paul had many struggles, physical infirmities that stuck with him, a thorn in the flesh as he speaks about it throughout his life. And yet, Paul looks at his life at this point in time and says, I've been strengthened. I've been strengthened by Jesus Christ. I've been strengthened by the one who has been given all authority and all power. I've been strengthened by the one who is the Alpha, the Omega. I've been strengthened by the one who is the great I Am. He has strengthened me. I'm but weak. I'm but frail. I'm humanity. But Jesus Christ has strengthened me. Secondly, he he says that I've been judged faithful. Because he judged me faithful. Oh, what an an amazing thing to hear. That as Paul looks at his life, Jesus Christ has made a judgment about Paul. And his judgment is, he's been faithful. Paul's going to go on to explain to us that faithfulness does not arise out of himself, but that faithfulness is by God's grace. It's by God's grace that he has been faithful. So as he looks at himself, he says, by grace I stand. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. God's grace will fulfill and complete its work in me. There is a certain... Confidence that Paul has, not because of Paul, but because of God. As he stands and takes an evaluation of himself, he also points out that he has been appointed to Christ's service. And we might say, well, of course, yes, he's, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope back there in chapter 1, verse 1. But we shortchange the Lord when we think this is only Paul because this is true of ourselves as well. God does indeed call us and appoint us to his service. It's part of the brilliance of of the Heidelberg Catechism, dividing the, the catechisms and the Lord's Day into sin and salvation. But also service. Service for some, service for a few. Only a few get to serve the Lord. No, no. All who are called and appointed by Jesus Christ, all who are saved by grace, all who are strengthened by Christ are called to service to our Lord. Are all called to be apostles? Are all called to be teachers? Are all called to be evangelists? Paul says, no, not everybody's called to the same thing. But we are all called. We're all given, as it were, our own commission by Christ. Our own responsibility to be faithful to him. And he promises to strengthen us in it. So what is is Paul's reminder who I am. But then Paul tells us who he was. This is who I am, but but you need to know where I started. You need to know what ground zero was. You need to know what I was like and notice the words he uses to describe himself. I was a blasphemer. I was one who disregarded the name of the Lord. I was one who disregarded the work of the Lord. I was one who disregarded the being and the essence of who the Lord is. I was one who blasphemed. I spoke of things I did not know. I spoke against things that I did not understand. Something that came under one of the punishments in that Old Testament law was a blasphemer. Oh, he thought he was being righteous. He thought he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He thought he was being zealous for the work of the Lord. But in reality, Paul has now come to understand, no, I was not. I was a blasphemer. But not just a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. We go back to those early chapters of the book of Acts. And we find out about the, the breathing out of the fire of, of Saul, his former name. How he, he was attending there at the stoning of Stephen, giving his approval, giving, as it were, his head nod. Yeah, go ahead, throw the stones. This man who confesses Jesus deserves to die. Yeah, go for it. Fire at him. He's the man who who has these papers, who is headed to Damascus in order to arrest folks, take away their livelihood, separate families. Perhaps even bring to the court, and if they're willing to do what they did to Christ, what would they be willing to do with the followers of Christ? Even Jesus said, you better expect it. He's the guy carrying this out. He's the persecutor. But on top of that, he says, I, am an, I was an insolent opponent. I was stubborn. Our brother Doug just prayed about uh, the hearts of stone. That was Paul. He had a heart of stone. I'm not going to be moved by this Jesus talk. I'm not going to be moved about that which I hear. I'm not going to be moved by the... Story of the cross. I'm not going to be moved about a resurrection. I'm not going to believe all of those fables and all of those myths. His heart was insolent. He was strongly opposed to God. Reminds us of the type of terminology that was used of the Jews in the Old Testament. They're they're being stiff-necked. They're being a rebellious people. Paul says, that's who I was. It's not who I am now, but it's who I was. And then Paul reminds us as to how it all changed. What happened to bring about this change? But I receive, there in the middle of 13, but I receive mercy. What changed it all? God's mercy. God's grace changed his life. But, one of the most beautiful, beautiful words in all of Scripture. Stands out there as that contrast. This is is what is deserved. This is what should happen. But God. This is what, what logically should have taken place. But God. Here's a man who is opposing God. Here is a man who is blaspheming God's name. Here is a man who is persecuting the followers of the Lord Jesus. What does he deserve? He deserves wrath. He deserves judgment. He deserves condemnation. But God gave mercy. God did that which is totally unexpected. God did that which is unbelievable. Which is mystifying. Which causes wonder. Which causes awe. What changed? Here I am. Here, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm strengthened by Christ. I'm, I'm considered faithful by Christ. I've been appointed by Christ. But look at who I was. What happened? Grace. God's mercy. Paul speaks of his ignorance. There in verse 13. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Some may think, well, so when people act in ignorance, they have an excuse. Paul's not using this as an excuse. Paul's not bringing to this the the fact that, well, of course I don't deserve any guilt. I I was ignorant. And and my ignorance, you see, brings about I was so ignorant that that God has this sympathy because I'm so ignorant. That's what moves God to be merciful. No. What, What Paul is saying is God recognizes The hopelessness, the helplessness, and the complete inability of man to save himself. God recognizes that unless God acts, no one would be saved. He's recognized that since before the foundations of the world. He recognizes that when he comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. They're not coming to Him. They're never going to come to Him. It's God who has to come. That's going to come out, isn't it, in just a few minutes in that phrase. Jesus Christ came into the world. Not one of us asked for Him to come. Not one human being was on their knees saying, Oh Jesus, come and save us. No one. God had to act. Because we're so ignorant. We're so incapable. We're completely incapable. There is no ability within us to turn our lives around. What Paul is saying is, this is who I am, this is who I was, and it had nothing to do with me, but had had everything to do with God. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. God overflowed Paul's life. God didn't just fill Paul's life, God overflowed his life with grace, with faith, with love. That all came from Jesus Christ. Paul Paul is, is the poster child of Jesus' words. I came to give life and I came to give it abundantly. Well, in what way do you give life abundantly? Abundant grace. Abundant faith. Abundant love. That's what Christ gives. He doesn't give meagerly. He doesn't give partially. He doesn't give half. He doesn't give a quarter. God overflows us. It spills over out of us. Because of that which he has given to us. We can't help. But speak of God. We can't help. But tell others of God. We can't help but have our lives completely turned and changed around. Because God's grace didn't just give Paul a little kickstart. I was thinking of this the other day when I I was having trouble starting a a small engine. Right? And you're pulling and you're pulling and you're pulling and you're pulling. And and it's like, oh, my shoulder. I'm going to need... Surgery before I'm done with this thing. Pull, pull, pull. Oh, that's right. I got some starter stuff. Take out the you know, spark plug. Put in a little starter stuff. Put it back in. What do you suppose happened? Fired right up for 10 seconds. Right? See, something was wrong that needs to be corrected. Something needed to be changed. Not just a kickstart. Grace doesn't just get us kickstarted. It's not just a starter fluid and then, okay, see, now things will take over. Now, now you can go back to the, the other stuff and everything will be just fine. It'll function just right. Your life will, will now completely turn around because I gave you a little bit of grace. I gave you a little bit of head start. I gave you a little kick to get you going. Now, grace overflows. And it overflows in faith, and it overflows in love. This is Paul's reminder. Secondly, Paul then repeats something. He repeats a saying. He, he speaks about the fact of, of the fact this saying, verse 15, this saying. What saying? Well, that's what he's about to say. But but just stop and pause. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The saying. It appears that, that what we're about to read is something that is well known. This is something that the church of Jesus Christ has laid as a foundation. That this has become a, a motto. This has become the church's Confession. This has become the church's creed. Some suggest it might have even been the church's hymn. And this saying, the saying that Paul is about to lay out before us this evening, is something that Paul is testifying through the Spirit, is something that is trustworthy. This is something you can depend upon. This is something you can have complete trust that you can rely 100% in. There is absolutely no wavering on this statement. It's not only trustworthy, Paul says, it's deserving of full acceptance. Oh, there are many, there are many who might hear this saying and accept it as true. But there is something different between accepting something as true and something being accepted fully. Completely. In total. Not just out there. Not just as some truth. Not just as some teaching that exists out there, but something that you have within your own heart, within your own mind, and within your own soul become absolutely convicted of fully. And there is no doubt. There is no wavering. What is the saying? It's the saying that was well known in the church About Jesus Christ. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world. You have that that beautiful passage in John chapter 1, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We have Paul in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. Or you hear it in Hebrews chapter 1 that God has now made more sure his truth in the giving of his son. Jesus Christ came into the world. I heard my first Christmas song this week. I think they saw snow and decided it was time to turn it on. I almost wanted them to turn it off. It's like, it's too early. But then I thought, no, no, I'm preparing this message. That's what Paul is saying it's part of the miracle of grace. Jesus Christ came into the world. I think I've mentioned to you before, there are more songs in our hymn book regarding the advent, the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, than any other topic. I'm not sure that's necessarily the best well balance, but I think it does elicit a reminder to us We're always at the cross. We're we're at the tomb. Paul is drawing us back to his coming. He came into the world. The marvel of that. Do you ever just sit down and, and just marvel at what is happening here? Jesus... Christ came here into this world. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, he left as Christ the glories of heaven. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the very form of a servant. And you know, that servanthood isn't just the cross, the servanthood is in coming. He laid aside royal robes. He laid aside the praise of angels. He, he lays it aside to be born as a babe in a manger in Bethlehem. He lays it aside to live in tabernacle in this sinful world. He lays it aside to hang out with 12 guys who don't get it the whole time that they're with him. One who is going to betray him. One who's going to deny him. Two who are going to demand higher positions than others. He came into the world. of that he was willing to come into this world to become one of us to take upon himself flesh and blood that's why the cross means something that's why the tomb means something that's why the ascension means something that's why the table means something We we don't say like like some, well, Jesus Christ really never had humanity. He he never was a human, he always was just divine. Now he came into this world. And then there are others who say, Well, yeah, he's only human. He he, he never is the Son of God. He never is divinity. He's never the second person of the Trinity. He's just a man. Jesus Christ came into this world. Yeah, we, we should be amazed. And we should stand in wonder at the cradle of Bethlehem. That holds not just a king. The cradle of Bethlehem holds the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. He came into the world. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? For what purpose? What was the reason? Why does he do this? To save sinners. Jesus himself says on multiple times, uh, recorded for us, for example, in the Gospel of Mark, it's not the righteous who, who need a doctor, it's sinners. Or that theme verse, if you just want to go back to it a minute, that, that core verse of the whole book of Mark. It's Mark chapter 10. Okay? And, and it's one of those verses, if you're in the habit of underlining, this ought to be underlined. Okay? This, this ought to be underlined. Jesus himself is speaking. Okay? And he's talking about his purpose for coming. And he says... For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. There it is. There's that centrality. There's that core. This is is the foundation of the church. This is where we stand. There is no church of Jesus Christ without this truth. You can't be a church that honors and glorifies Christ if you deny this truth. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. See, we live in a day and age, do we not, in which that three-letter word, sin, is a bad word. Don't mention that. Well, you'll never get anybody to join your church if you'll talk about sin. I would imagine this morning's sermon would have turned the probably most church growth people on their heads. They'd be gone. Nobody's going to come to your church. You you preach Leviticus 18. Robert Schuller, remember him? Right. Wrote in a book called The New Reformation. He wrote the following. I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christ and under the banner of Christianity that has proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive to the evangelistic enterprise than the unchristian, uncouth strategy of attempting to make people aware of their lost and sinful condition. Why did Jesus come then? Paul says he came to save sinners. The gospel is about sin, else, there's no need of a savior. And here's the the glory of grace He did come, He entered into this world. In order to save us from our sin. Not to make us better people. Not to give us upbeat attitudes. But to save us from sin. And then Paul adds. Of whom I am the foremost. Was Paul being overreaching? Was Paul being a little euphemistic? Was Paul being a little embellishing here? Was Paul kind of like, well, hey, let me, let, let me just underscore this for the sake, okay, I'm trying to win some folks. Let me, under, let, me, let me put it this way for the sake of the fact I might look humble of who I am foremost. Now, I think this is part of doctrinal truth. Because you see, if you look out upon the world, and you see others, and you judge them to be a worse sinner than you, then in some way, you are saying, I am better than that person without Christ. I live a more moral life. I live a more quality life. I'm better than that person. And as soon as you make that judgment, what you're saying is, I have done something that makes me better than that person. Paul says, I don't look out upon people. I look in a mirror. And when I look in the mirror, I see the sinner. I see the world's greatest sinner. I see the world's chief sinner. Augustine was known for the statement. That if I were the only person in time and space that had ever lived, Jesus Christ would have entered into this world to die for just me. When we look at our own hearts, we, like Paul, are to see the chief of sinners. And here's the glorious truth Jesus Christ came to die for that chief sinner. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Yeah. That's why we have a song called Amazing Grace, right? It's an amazing grace. Because it saved a wretch like you. Imagine that. God's grace is so amazing. Look, it saved you. And it saved you and it saved you. Wow, what an amazing grace. Didn't take that to save me. But it took it to save you. No. The hymn writer is, because it saved a wretch like me. That's Paul here. It saved me. And I am the chief of sinners. Oh, he could look at his past and you could say, well, yeah, Paul, okay, yeah, you committed some biggies there. You you were a a blasphemer. Yeah, you were insolent. Yeah, you persecuted. But, hey, Paul, I got good news. (laughs) David was a little bit worse. He's a murderer and an adulterer. And he's a lousy dad. So is David the chief of sinners? Yes. I got good news for you, David. There's a guy named Abraham. He disbelieves God. Takes on a second wife out of his disobedience and causes the world collision that we still live with. Is he the chief of sinners? Absolutely. Because you see, we all are. We all are. That's what Paul is teaching us here in this passage. We are all to know and to recognize that Jesus Christ has come into this world to die for the chief of sinners. He suffered on that cross for the chief of sinners. He suffered hellish agony for the chief of sinners. And until we each come to the realization of that truth, we can never truly appreciate grace. That's why we need to teach people about sin. So that they know how great and how wonderful grace is. Well, we didn't get to our third point, but there's always next week. That's the nice part when you preach through a a passage. You can always come back to it next week and it does have a beautiful lead in. But I think we stop there. For this evening. And as we come to the table. We're going to be reminded of that. But here's the glorious truth. We're going to hear. Take. Eat. Take. Drink. Christ came into this world to save sinners. And I am the chief.